sorry you have to be here. I know it's not your ideal Christmas. Plans change. These things can't be helped. We're gonna have fun. I promise. Christmas killers strike again. They pick a house with a nice couple in it, and then they slash them up. It's freaky enough around here as it is. You're not supposed to be down here. What are these? The books they don't want us to read. Hello, ma'am. Do you mind if we come in? There's something special about this place. It smells good in here. Christmas dinner? You did such a lovely job. <laughs> Let me tell you a story. It's not prayers that get God's attention. Oh, no. It's sacrifice. We have to get out of here. They're going to kill us if we don't. It's going to be the best Christmas of your lives. We need to hide. Come out. Blacktail girls, look out for each other. Don't let it out! You're murdering people because of some fairy tale you found in some book? I'm just getting started. We did not. Get out of here, you murderer! I am the battle! Where are you headed? Home for the holidays. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of Fresh Cuts. This is Mike. Joining me as always, it's Mr. Venom. What's up, Venom? Greetings and salutations, demons posing as humans. I hope we have a few of those uh, chiming in, uh, listening to us this week. I mean, it's Christmas. Come on. What do demons have better to do right now? Anyway, I'm doing pretty well, Mike. How the hell are you doing? I'm doing well. It's getting chilly up here. We're... In December, Chilly. it's actually yeah, it's actually pretty cold up here in NorCal. Oh, it's freezing here too. But my definition of freezing tends to differ from most people. Like it, it was seventy two today, and I was basically shivering all day. I, I, I just I hate temperate weather. Oh, <laughs> I need my heat, man. Uh, that's probably why I'm on a show called No More Room in Hell because uh, I'm taking <laughs> up all the room. <laughs> yeah, you're a good maybe 10 to 12 degrees warmer down there than us right now. Yeah. All right. Uh, also with us is Don and Nelly. What's up, Don? Hey, what's going on? Always happy to be here. Don, you recently celebrated a birthday where you got to see uh, Godzilla minus one, and uh, yep. it sounded like I I listened to the Creature Conference episode today, and it was. Well enjoyed by all. I'm I'm really not surprised because it's pretty much been universally loved. So it would have been a real shock if like one of you would have been like, you know what, I didn't like it. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, unfortunately, that's not the movie we're talking about tonight. Uh, and that's that's nothing about, uh, or that, that's not even like a comment on what we happen to be talking about. Just that. That's just to say Godzilla Minus One is really, really good, <laughs> and that's all. But uh, tonight we are talking about a movie that hit Shudder last week called The Sacrifice Game, 
And I will take the synopsis off IMDb. It's bad enough. <laughs> okay. It's bad enough that boarding school students Samantha and Clara can't go home for the holidays, but things take a deadly turn when a murderous gang arrives on their doorstep just in time for Christmas. Yes, this is kind of one of those like Christmas E movies. Like, you know, I wouldn't say the holidays necessarily central to the plot, but it does take place during the holidays. So I guess if people are looking for uh, new stuff that's Christmas related, uh, they can throw this one on. But what did we actually think about the movie? Let's find out with our general thoughts. So Venom, I'll kick it to you. What were your thoughts on the sacrifice game? Well, when I read the synopsis that you just read, um, I wasn't really expecting too much. I, I enjoy home invasion movies, but for the most part, you know, they're kind of cut and dry. There's very rarely anything too special happening in a in a home invasion film. But And this one kind of opens up the way you would expect it to as a home invasion film, maybe a little bit more brutal than you would expect. But within about 15, 20 minutes of the film's open, I, I was completely on board. I, I, I got to say, this movie was a pleasant surprise for me. I was definitely um, shocked at how much I enjoyed this. I actually really did like it. And anybody who knows me knows multiple things about me. Like, I am a very vindictive and petty person. So once you actually watch this movie, you'll understand probably why I enjoyed it so much. Um I also um, am a big, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan, or should I say a big hater of people who just do terrible things in horror movies. And I feel like this movie's filled with people making the best decisions they possibly can. There, there's one decision in the third act that we might question, but considering how the movie ends, out, ends off, uh, I'm actually very happy with the decision that was made. I thought this was a very satisfying ending. I walked away from this film basically having just a really good time. Like I said, um, some likable characters throughout. Um, you know, nothing that's going to break the mold. I, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying this movie's a top ten candidate by any stretch, but it's surprisingly good. You've got some good nasty antagonists in here. You've got some good nasty kills. In the sense, I mean, the, the kills aren't ultra gory, but they're very visceral in the sense that they're very abrupt and very realistic. I mean, th there's no cutaways in this movie. This director was definitely not scared to, you know, uh, show people getting their throats slits or, you know, getting, you know, knifed in the, in the neck or whatever the case may be. And I appreciate that for it. You know, some people might look at a movie like this and maybe call it mean-spirited. Mean I wouldn't go that far necessarily. I just – I had a bloody good time with it. Um, I, I enjoyed the kills that we got. Not a huge body count. I mean, I, I think there's maybe like six or seven human kills and one deer, unfortunately. <laughs> but overall – yeah, I, I, I had a pretty good time with this. I thought the setup was good. I thought the, like I said, the cold open, though fairly cut and dry, colored by numbers, home invasion was still very brutal, but I did enjoy the presentation of it. It has kind of a grindhouse feel to it. And the music that's playing in the background, just really, really cool, you know, kind of late 60s, early 70s mod rock which kind of fit the gang, too, because the gang is very late 60s, early 70s, kind of mod squad, you know, uh, you know, a mishmash of personalities, though all of them young, of course. 
Um, so I, you know, I, I, yes, I am old enough to remember the old show Mod Squad from the late sixties. So, you know, don't fault me for that one, but yeah, overall, I had a really good time with this one. I had no problems with any of the characters. I had no problems with any of the decisions that were made. Uh, I genuinely enjoyed the ending. I think some people might um, kind of walk away from this ending not enjoying it or maybe thinking that our main character should have made a different decision that she than she did. But ultimately, I was very happy with this film. You know, it's an hour and 39 minutes. I don't know why IMDb says 130. Uh, it, the, the movie I watched on Shudder was an hour and 39 minutes. So I, I don't think that there's a director's cut of this available yet. So I'm just going to say IMDb maybe has the wrong film duration. But, yeah, like I said, good score, decent cinematography, you know, the story is not ultra original by any stretch of the imagination. We've seen it before. We'll see it again. But I thought the execution was well done. I thought the kills were brutal. You know, characters are likable. I, there's The movie doesn't necessarily do anything exceptional, but it doesn't do anything terrible either. It is very solidly above average, good to great, somewhere in that range. I wouldn't go so far as to say great by any stretch. But a very good movie, a very surprising one from a second-time director. This director, Jen Wexler, this is only her second feature. Uh, I believe she did The Ranger from 2018 was her first movie. And she's done some other shorts. I think she did a segment in ABCs of Death 2, stuff like that. Uh, I know she's a producer as well. So I, I was very happy with this film. I thought Jen did a very good job. She's also credited as a writer on this one too, so... Um, I, I do like writer-directors when they can kind of control the project that they're working on more closely, and I think this project benefited from that. Like I said, a, a, just a very well-told story with a lot of likable people, some good kills. Um, plot holes? Yes, there are plot holes. Um, you know, the, the movie leaves you with some questions that we'll talk about after we get through our walkthrough, but there, there are definitely some holes in our demon story, if you will, but, you know, nothing that would detriment the enjoyment of the film, at least for me. So like I said, uh, I'm just going to cut it off here and say I did really enjoy this one. This was a pleasant surprise, especially at the end of the year when we don't often get like a lot of really quality horror. Um, you know, in the month of December, we've gotten Godzilla minus one and now the sacrifice game. So I am very happy with December 2023 thus far. And I would recommend this film. I mean, it's on Shutter, So if you already have a subscription or access to one, it's not going to cost you anything. It's a quick watch. Like I said, it gets right to the action with a great cold open. So yeah. I would recommend this one. Go ahead and check it out if you're a fan of slashers or home invasion slashers, things like that. Um, if, you're, if you're a fan of movies like that that have a slight supernatural turn, um, I, then I would highly recommend this one. So, yeah, overall, really good time. Not quite upper echelon of 2023, but uh, I highly recommend to check this one out. That's it for now. All right. I'll swing it over to Don. What were your uh, thoughts on the sacrifice game? Yeah, I'm pretty close, um, maybe just a notch or two below, but um, o overall I had enough uh, fun with it that uh, I, I, I do think it's maybe not, you know, like an essential watch, but, um, I, I mean, you know, we've we've covered much worse uh, on the show, so, yeah, I'm definitely on board with uh, a lot of what he said. Uh, the central setup is really um, intriguing. Uh, I like the way that it turns from uh, home invasion to a, uh, you know, this weird, 
satanic cult kind of a, you know, mm-hmm. uh, trying not to, uh, you know, spoil <laughs> too much here. Um, I mean, satanic cult could probably be considered a spoiler, but um, I, I mean, it turns away from what you would think as a, a home invasion, which is uh, thankfully not a home. Um, I, I was kind of surprised at that, that, you know, it's a home invasion on a boarding school, which is a pretty intriguing twist. Um, I, I like a lot of what goes on here. The uh, killers are uh, – I, I don't want to say that they're as, as, uh, as good as Venom said. Um, there are times where I had issues with some of them, uh, some of the times where uh, decision-making or not necessarily like decision-making for the characters, but decision-making in the creative process was kind of um, all over the place and kind of lacking um, a little – but overall, I, I think they're worthwhile enough to carry a film like this. But yeah, some of the plot holes in this are really, really obvious. And I, I think the main one here, and uh, I'm not going to say too much about it, but I think the main twist and what that does to the film itself just leaves so many questions that it's kind of hard to take the film at face value knowing that the twist is what it is because it seems more of a, well, haha, gotcha kind of a thing rather than something that's integrated well into the story. So, I mean, yeah, I'm not really going to spoil that, but yeah, overall, it was a fun time. Uh, brutal kills, um, you know, a nice little mean streak that's, uh, you know, really appreciated. Um, holiday horrors, kind of a stretch. I mean, you know, it could probably take place on July 31st, and I couldn't tell you much difference in what goes on. Or, yeah, I mean, you know, setting it on any kind of, you know, special date's really going to change this whole, the film all that much. But, yeah, overall, uh, not an essential watch, but, uh, I mean, you know, if you've, if you feel you've caught up with the year or, you know, the stuff that's uh, considered heavy hitters and uh, still need something to pad out your December watches, you can do worse than this. Um, I mean, you know, we've covered much, much worse than this. Um, I hope that Jen doesn't take five years to direct a movie because I actually really enjoyed the Ranger. I thought that one was a pretty fun little indie slasher. Yeah, that one was really fun and I really kind of liked that one. So, um, Glad to see that she's returned. Um, so, yeah, don't take five years anymore. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, uh, I, I mean, I, I can't say much just because, I, you know, I kind of want to go a little further, but uh, that's spoiler detail. So, uh, like Denim said, I'll just cut it off here, and uh, I guess that will uh, be all for now. All right. So my thoughts are about aligned with what you guys had to say. I was a little worried of the setup that we were going to get like our standard kind of home invasion at a, mm-hmm. well, obviously not at a home, but it, that kind of setup. But luckily, uh, it kind of bended the genre and included other genres in it, which I appreciate. I, I actually think like the the story and the is the strength of it. Um, you obviously get some like tropes, you know, where there's a team of people coming in and certain characters' motivations are different than others and that leads to, you know, certain happenings down the road in the movie. I think um 
to Don's point, yeah, it's not like even though it takes place uh, during the Christmas holiday, it Christmas Christmas doesn't really play into it other than the fact that it just gives them a convenient excuse as to why there's a couple students there, which they get into in yeah. in the movie and like why for I'm the saying. most part the rest of the school is not there. Yeah, I'm saying. <laughs> I mean, you can probably do this at uh, you know Easter break or uh, you know leaving for the summer, and you can probably get the same kind of a story. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, but for the mo- yeah, for the most part, uh, I, I I did like the movie. It, considering like what we've got. On Shutter, the majority of the year, this is kind of like a welcome uh, watch where it's like, oh wow, I I actually uh, kind of enjoyed uh, because there's actually been like a few Shutter releases in the last few months that we just haven't covered for fresh cuts that I just haven't even bothered to watch yet. Like I'll probably get them in when we uh, go on our uh, end of year hiatus because I'll just have time, but. You know, I wasn't exactly, like, rushing to see a couple of them. Um, holding out hope, maybe uh, they'll convert me once I see them. But as far as this one goes, yeah, I, 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 I did like it. I, it's probably not going to be a top ten, but it's it's still uh, enjoyable. Um, I, I did like where it went. I thought there was an interesting twist uh, in, our, in our third act. And yeah, I can see the end. Some people not liking it, but I, I was I was fine with it. Um, uh, what else can I say? Uh, there was some good gore that happens uh, at a certain point in the movie. And what what else can I say that you guys haven't already said? Um, I yeah, I, I kind of like these movies where more things about your antagonist develop. The movie because it all you know with these types of films, there always seems like at the beginning like there's a cohesive plan, but when the but when the circumstances happen and plans uh, start unraveling and you see like what kind of people they really are, and there's always like one like one in the group that seems like more evil than the other ones, or you know, one that's there for different motivations that almost feels like they just want to get out of the situation at some point. Mm -hmm. So I always like seeing how those kind of twists and turns happen in the story, and I think for the most part, it delivers on that. Um, There's probably, yeah, some plot holes that you could dissect in it if if you wanted to. But uh, overall, at the end of it, I was like, wow, uh, an enjoyable Shutter release. Like, I guess... You know, as we're closing out 2023, that's about all you could ask for, given like what we've got for <laughs> mostly on Shutter this year. So yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll recommend it, especially if people are looking for like more 2023s at the end of the year. So I'll, I'll leave it to that and take it back to you, Venom. Yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to kind of speak to Don's point about our antagonists in this film. Um, when I said I liked them as antagonists, I didn't necessarily mean that they were, like, great at what they did. 
I liked them because they reminded me of the Firefly family, but cooler. And I and I'm I'm using air quotes right now when I say cooler because most horror fans are going to say the Fireflies are cooler. I and I'm one of those. That that's not a uh, that that's not a big deal. But what I mean by cooler is the early '70s aesthetic of these young people and how they're dressed and how they act. Like if like if you were in 1972 and you saw these four antagonists in the street, you'd say. Oh, there's, you know, some cool guys right there, some cool cats with their good looking chick, blah, blah, blah. Whereas if you saw the fireflies on the street, you'd say, oh, there's a bunch of hillbillies or a bunch of rednecks, you know, they're not the cool kids in quotations. So I even have it in my notes that way that these guys remind me of the fireflies, but cooler in quotes. Um, but the reason I liked them is because they were just good pieces of shit. You know, all four of them had their, you know, their, their reasons to go through what they went through. Not good reasons, mind you, just reasons. And I, I, and I do appreciate that because a lot of movies will leave the psychosis of the antagonist kind of ambiguous or mysterious. Like you just have to, like Michael Myers, you just have to accept that Michael Myers is crazy. There's no explanation um, unless you watch a Rob Zombie movie, but we're not talking about that. Um, so here, you know, at least we get a tiny little bit of backstory for all four of our characters, and we, we understand a little bit why they've gone on the path that they've gone, um, aside from, you know, the actual plan or the ritual that they're trying to pull off here. Uh, the other thing that kind of bothers me about this movie is its title. Uh, do you guys think that the Sacrifice Game fits as a title for this movie? Like, no one actually plays a game. Like, when I hear the sacrifice game, I'm thinking that the antagonists are going to have some fun and force the people to play games, almost like a ready or not situation. But, no, that's not really the case. What were you going to say, Mike? Uh, The only only way I can put a kind of spin on the title as it relates to the movie, I kind of got to keep it, like, spoiler-free, but let's say a specific character was maybe, like, playing the rest of them the entire time so maybe that's why they call it the sacrifice game but otherwise yeah i get your point because it's not like it's not like a um would you rather type setup yeah it's clearly like a game yeah or even like what was it cheap thrills i think that kind of had yep. that too like it, it's like technically by the end of the movie you kind of argue the game aspect it's definitely not set up from the get-go, like, a clear, like, oh, look, they're, they're here to, like, be sadistic mm-hmm. with this game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can see that, definitely. I can see that one character who kind of splintered off from the group. Definitely, it, it was maybe a game to that character. But, yeah, I, I still feel like there, there's better titles out there for this one. Uh, you know, because sometimes titles will kind of set anticipation. <laughs> you know, if you see the title Werewolf at Night, you kind of expect there to be a werewolf, you know, uh, <laughs> bad example. There is a werewolf in that one. So obviously bad example, but uh, like I said, titles, you know, they should fit the movie a little bit that, or just be completely have nothing to do with the movie. Like just an avant-garde, like call, call the movie purple airplane or something, but make it a fucking, you know, slasher set in an un- underwater sea base or something. I don't know. Just something stupid like that. Sacrifice game. It's like the sacrifice part works. Definitely. It's the game part that doesn't, but no big deal. Anyway. Um, let's see. What else can we talk about? Um, 
I'm a big fan of Rose because she makes pie with vodka. I mean, how could you not like that? Come on now. Um, and <laughs> as much as I like the movie, there are scenes in this movie that are frustrating on first watch. Once the movie is over, you understand kind of why they happened. Uh, specifically, there's a scene with Clara and a knife where I'm screaming at her, what are you doing? What are you doing? Why are you doing that? And then she does what she's going to do, and I'm just freaking the fuck out. Like, what is your problem? What, you know, blah, blah, blah. Obviously, once you get to the movie, it's like, ah, that's why Clara did that with the knife. I got you now. You know, so little moments like that are kind of cool. Um, and obviously, like I said, the the – endlessly satisfying third act, at least for somebody like me, like I said. I mean, if you know anything about me, I've probably already given away too much. You probably, a lot of you probably know where the ending of this movie is going just from those few things that I've said, but that's, you know, it, it's one of the things that I really, really enjoyed about this. Um, the demon's eyes in this one, it, it's a very simple design. Like, we don't get actually get to see the demon in all of their glory, but when we see just the eyes, there it's a simple design, but it works for me so much, especially considering who the demon turns out to be in this movie. So, yeah, that, that part of it I really enjoyed. That's the kind of the less is more mentality, you know, because obviously we can have a movie, you know, like Glorious or something, where we actually see the demon at the end in all of its glory, no pun intended. Um, but I am glad that this movie kind of went in the direction that it went as far as that goes. So I did enjoy its kind of minimalist uh, demon design for this one. Um, <laughs> and then the last thing I can really say that's spoiler-free is there is an absolute what-the-fuck moment in this movie when our demon starts dancing for some reason. <laughs> did you guys know what the fuck was going on? <laughs> I'm literally like, what? Why? Why are you dancing? What is going on here? It made me think of Night of the Demons. <laughs> A little yeah. bit, but at, at least Angela's dancing makes sense. <laughs> I mean, the I, only I, way the only way uh, it makes even a little bit of sense is just relief that they're able to finally fulfill their, you know, their goals. Yes. I'll go with that. All right, folks. Well, if there's uh, anything else that you guys want to add that's spoiler-free, I will jump into the walkthrough. Anything else you want to add? I'm afraid of seeing anything. <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> this is a hard movie to talk about without giving away too much because a lot happens, like, in the second act. Um, you know, we get a lot of reveals and things in the second act that kind of lead into the third. So, yeah, there's definitely a lot of a lot of spoilers to talk about here, so. All right, folks, so that's going to be your final spoiler warning. If you have not seen The Sacrifice Game currently streaming on Shudder, go ahead and pause the show and go check out the film and come come on back. If you have already seen it or don't care to based on our spoiler-free review, then go ahead and join us for our walkthrough. I'll try to make it as quick as possible because I, I, I do uh, kind of acknowledge the fact that my walkthroughs sometimes are a little long when I did enjoy the movie. Obviously, last week we probably had the fastest walkthrough ever for Onyx the Fortuitous, so uh, I'll try to keep it short, folks, I promise. All right, so our movie opens three days before Christmas Day, 1971. We see four, uh, you know, kind of younger, nefarious-looking characters standing outside of a house. 
the front door of the house opens and a couple of guests leave what was probably some kind of Christmas gathering or dinner. And then as soon as those guests uh, get in their car and leave and they're out of sight, our four nefarious-looking characters walk up to the house and ring the doorbell. Um, the patriarch uh, answers the door. He, he thinks, obviously, that his friends maybe forgot something, so he opens the door very quickly without asking who's there. Um, he sees the four people that he doesn't recognize, and the leader of the group, Jude, unceremoniously just pulls out a knife and jams it right into this guy's throat. And there is no cut, my friends. We literally see the knife plunge in and get pulled out, and we see the blood start to pour out of his neck. He falls back into his house. The four, uh, I, I hate to call them gang members, but uh, let's just say criminals, home invaders, uh, the four home invaders then proceed into the house. They find the wife. Um, two of the it's three men and one woman in the group, by the way. And two of the men uh, grab the wife and throw her down on the kitchen table. Of course, I'm thinking that a rape scene is coming, which I absolutely abhor, even in horror films. Luckily, and we do not get a rape scene, thankfully, um, I, I, I can't believe I'm celebrating a murder, but I, I still feel like a murder is more dignified than a rape. Uh, most women would possibly agree. Some probably wouldn't, but again, story for another podcast. They unceremoniously kill the wife, uh, stabbing her in the heart with a knife. Um, they, we then see them carving something into the wife's head, but they don't actually show us at this point what it is that they carved, what the symbol looks like. And that's the end of our cold open. Um, after the, our opening credits, it is now one year later. It is a few days before Christmas, and we are at the Black Veil School for Girls. Um, we see uh, Rose, who is one of the teachers there, um, talking to some of her students. Um, one of the students is named Clara. She's basically the quiet loner that everybody just kind of makes fun of. She kind of keeps to herself and draws in her notebook. And then we, we, we also are introduced to Samantha, uh, a young girl of color, um, not necessarily one of the cool kids, but also not an outsider enough to necessarily be made fun of by the cool kids. She's just kind of one of those in-between kids. It is nearing Christmas Eve. Um, they're talking about their Christmas break. Clara uh, uh, is basically saying that she's not going home for Christmas. She never goes home for Christmas. She always stays at the school. Keep that in the back of your head for a little while. Uh, hey, Venom. Yes, sir. Uh, regarding the cold open, I was kind of actually happy in, in looking back at it in retrospect that um, they didn't really tip their hand with, like, what this gang or crew was up to because, like nope. – if if you judge solely by the cold opening, I thought we had like another like strangers type movie on our hands. That, exactly. like, that was my immediate thought after that. I was like, okay, is this gonna be like that type of movie? And then obviously once we get further in, it's like, oh no, there's a lot more to what they're actually doing, which I kinda breathe yeah. a sigh of relief that it wasn't just merely gonna be like, Oh, look, we're randomly going around just exactly. invading and murdering, you know. Definitely. Yeah, the cold open definitely makes it seem like it's going to be the strangers, but with personalities. Because obviously the three killers and the strangers barely speak in the movie, uh, in either of the movies. 
But um, in this one, you know, all, all four of these um, antagonists are very vocal, very in your face. Like, like I said, very much more like the Fireflies than, say, the Strangers. So anyway, so um, after meeting Samantha, she ends up getting a phone call from her father telling her that he's not going to be able to take her home for Christmas. I don't know what kind of father suddenly can't come and get his only daughter, who, by the way, um, Samantha's mother passed away uh, in a car accident, you know, before the uh, the film began, obviously. Um, so her father is the only parent that she has. It doesn't seem like she has any siblings. At least they don't mention any in the film. Obviously, she's upset that she can't go home. And Rose, uh, you know, their teacher, is uh, basically letting her know that, hey, I have to stay here anyway with Clara so we can all stay together and try to have some fun, blah, blah, blah. Samantha obviously isn't happy anyway. So it is now the last day before before Christmas break, and uh, Jim, kind of the handyman for the school, is taking all the girls to, I don't know if he's taking them to a train station or a bus station. I mean, it's 1972 at this point, so, um, you know, conceivably it could be either one. But he doesn't have a bus or anything to drive. He's literally just taking uh, uh, multiple trips in his car with students and teachers and the headmistress, everything else. So, um so he leaves uh, with, with the last bunch that he has to take to, you know, the train or bus station, leaving Rose, Samantha, and Clara alone at the school. Now, meanwhile, our four characters from the cold open, we see that they are – this is where we find out that they are actually on some kind of journey. They're on a path to a specific goal. We find out – um, that Samantha, uh, not Samantha, that Maisie, who's uh, the female member of the gang, uh, basically um, has this page from this ancient book that we don't know about yet in the film. And it's basically giving them instructions on how to summon a demon. So this is their ultimate goal. They are trying to summon a demon because from their beliefs, from Maisie and Jude, uh, Jude being kind of a leader, the de facto leader of the gang, only because he's the most vocal and the most psychotic. He's definitely the Otis Firefly of the bunch. Um, basically, you know, they think that they're going to be able to summon a demon and that they'll be able to control the demon and that the demon will grant them powers and abilities, you know, blah, 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 blah. The same thing that people have thought for centuries when summoning demons. Personally, I don't understand why anybody would ever trust a demon. Like, do you actually think that a few words are going to control the demon and that it doesn't it's not going to turn on you and just cut you in half as soon as it's pissed off with you? I, I don't know. Whatever. People are way more trusting in demons than I am. And I'm the fucking Satanist. Anyway, <laughs> um, at, uh, at this point, our, our home invaders are on their way to somewhere. We don't know where they end up getting into a car accident and hitting a deer in the road, completely killing the deer. While they're on the road trying to move the deer's body, a police officer shows up. Oh, by the way, I, I did forget to mention that these four killers are 
um, uh, they do have notoriety uh, in the town. They are known as the Christmas Killers because apparently they've been doing I, I We don't know how long they've been doing this, but obviously they've been doing it at least since last Christmas. And now this Christmas, there have already been a series of murders that are, that are talked about uh, in the newspaper or on a newsreel or whatever. Like we see a newspaper clipping of it. So these people are known. It's not like they're just a bunch of nobodies. Like at, at this point, authorities know who they are or maybe don't know their identities but know that you know there are four accomplices going around killing people at christmas time in their homes so so like i said as they're moving the dead deer out of the road a police officer shows up and uh we we see that the officer is trying to make sure that they're okay he sees that they hit a deer Unfortunately, as they were trying to move the deer, one of the gang members uh, ended up dropping a piece of skin that they had taken off of a priest in an earlier scene. They basically did a home invasion in a church. They uh, attacked a priest, and then they basically peeled a scar off. They, they peeled off a section of his skin near his belly that basically had like a marking on it of some kind. And then after they peeled it off, the, you know, they had the big uh, brute of, the, you know, the goon member of the gang break his neck. Uh, later, we find out that that guy is an ex-soldier who's, you know, basically, you know, shell-shocked. He has PTSD from all the killing that he did during wartime and now he's he's killing people uh during peacetime you know for this uh you know potentially summoning a demon so you know take take from that what you will all right so at this point uh like i said the police officer finds that piece of skin on the ground realizes that they are the christmas killers goes to pull out his weapon but just as he goes to pull his gun out um, uh, the big guy hits him with a crowbar in the back of the head, knocking the cop out. Jude, the leader of the gang, then takes the sidearm from the police officer and unceremoniously shoots him in the forehead, killing the police officer. And at this point, um, oh, I, I forgot to mention that in, in the melee, when the officer was hit in the back of the head with the crowbar, he did get one shot off, which hit one of the gang members in the arm. I forget the name of the guy that, that it hit. It was, no, it was Doug. Excuse me. Yeah, Doug. Grant was the ex-soldier, you know, the big ex-soldier guy, the goon of the, of the squad. Uh, like I said, Maisie is the female and Jude is the leader. So they end up going to the girls' school um, under the guise of my friend just got shot. You know, do you have a first aid kit? You know, Rose, at this point, like I said, Rose is at the girls' school by herself with Samantha and Clara. There's no man around, no security. Um, you know, there's a security guard at the booth, but he may have already left for the evening, as he mentioned earlier in the film. So eventually Maisie comes up to the door and says, oh, no, no, you have a first aid kit in the kitchen behind the door. And Rose is like, how would you know that? And she goes, oh, because I used to come, I, I used to go to this school, class of 1964. Uh, I'm, I'm, on the, I'm on one of those pictures on the wall right there. So, you know, she's, she's an ex-student. Rose, to her credit, is not trusting of these people at any point. She just does not want to let them in. Unfortunately, eventually they force their way in. Rose ends up treating uh, Doug's injury, you know, um, basically putting some gauze, cleaning the wound and putting some gauze over it. At that point, after the wound is uh, cleaned and, and uh, bandaged, 
she asks them to leave and they basically tell her, no, no, I don't think we're going to leave. I think we're going to stay. Uh, we actually have something here to do. And, you know, obviously, you know, as a viewer watching this the first time, you think that it was just happenstance that they hit that deer right near the school and then got shot and go to the school. But no, as it turns out, that was their destination. They were actually going to the school. Why, you may ask, were they going to the school? Uh, because that's what the piece of paper, the ancient parchment that Maisie was carrying, said they had to do. They had to basically uh, uh, kill all these people, collect the blood of the innocent, as, as stated in the piece of paper. And then they had to go back to the school to perform one last ritual, and then they would be able to summon the demon and, you know, make their wish. Unfortunately, uh, Maisie ripped the page out of a book that was at the school. Actually, um, when she was at the school, she was also a little bit of a loner, and she discovered that the school had secret books on, like, witchcraft and demonology and things like that, books that the girls weren't supposed to know were there. She obviously found one. Um, the, the school, you know, superintendent realized what she was trying to do and kicked her out of the school, but she was able to rip that one page out of that book before she got kicked out. So now we know why our, our antagonists are here. At this point, Jim, the handyman that I mentioned earlier, comes back from his final run of, uh, you know, taking people to the train or bus station. Uh, I also forgot to mention that Jim and Rose do have a relationship. They are uh, together, officially together. And when Jim gets back to the school, we see that he has an engagement ring in his, in his hand. And so obviously he is planning on uh, a Christmas proposal to Rose. Unfortunately, when he gets there, he's met by Grant, um, and Grant knocks him out with the crowbar. Grant really loves this crowbar. He uses it like three times in the movie. So, yeah, it must be his favorite weapon. Uh, after Jim is knocked out, Jude is then able to round up Rose, Samantha, and Clara, who all kind of, I wouldn't say escaped, but they were able to get out of their situation with the gang members. And but they didn't they didn't leave the building. They basically just hid in the building. Eventually, all the, the gang members found them, collected them all up and then uh, tied them up at the dinner table. And then comes the dinner scene that we get in every great group of psychos movie. Um, it is Christmas dinner, of course. The dinner, of course, was meant for Jim, Rose and the two girls that stayed behind. But they're tied up and gagged at the dinner table. So. Our antagonists are basically just eating their meal in front of them. They fuck with them a little bit, obviously, you know, making Rose eat without using her hands and just like little ticky-tack shit like that. Eventually, this is where we find out that Jude and the gang are absolutely going to kill these three women. Uh, well, with Jim, um, the four people there. Um when Grant knocked out Jim outside, the engagement ring fell out of his pocket, and Grant picked it up and gave it to Jude. Jude realizes that, oh, Jim was going to propose to Rose tonight. So what he ends up doing is, while Jim is still tied up, his hands and mouth are still gagged, he has him kneel in front of Rose, and then he pulls out the ring and and then he says the words for Jim, because like I said, Jim is still gagged here. And he basically says, oh, Rose, I love you so much. You know, I've been waiting for a special moment to do this. And he basically tells the guy, uh, I'm going to cut your arms loose so that you can, you know, hand her the ring. If you try anything, I will slit your throat. 
And wouldn't you know it, as soon as Jude cuts um, uh, Jim's hands free, Jim takes a swing at Jude. Jude ducks under it and uh, ducks under the punch. When Jim, you know, turns around, Jude grabs him and does exactly what he said he was going to do. He slits his throat right in front of Rose, like literally right at her feet. Jim's uh, throat is slit and he's just bleeding out in front of her and basically passes away, obviously. Uh, Lord knows what that would do to a person. But yeah, Uh, so Jim is now gone. At this point, like I said, uh, the antagonists let them know what their plan is, that they're going to summon a demon, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, there's some more cat and mouse and chase sequences and blah, blah, blah that I'll skip over. Uh, We get uh, we get to the ritual scene now. At this point, uh, after dinner, they go to the main room of the school, the main hall. They draw a symbol on the ground, something very familiar, not necessarily a pentagram or anything, but a circle with like a symbol, almost like the Blair Witch symbol, uh, upside down um, in, in on the floor. And they pull Mrs. Uh, they pull Rose, the teacher, into the circle. Jude lets them know that, hey, I only need one of you. I only need the blood of one innocent. I don't need all three of you, but I'm probably still going to kill you all. Like, you know, despite all his shortcomings, uh, Jude at least is an honest guy. I'll give him credit for that. He says exactly what he's going to do with no bullshit and no sugar coating. Yes, I am going to kill you. At this point, um, let's see. Uh, at this point, they pull Rose into the circle, like I said, and again, very brutally and abruptly, they stab her right in the heart. If you're a fan of stabbings, this is the movie for you. I, I'd say about 75% of the deaths in this movie are just straight stabbings, either in the chest or in the neck, whatever the case may be. So, yeah, if you, if you like your knives, this is the movie for you. So, anyway, they stab Rose. She bleeds out within the circle. At the, at the exact moment that Rose gets stabbed, we see the, all the lights in the school kind of flicker, and we hear, like, a weird, like, thunderous noise, like, in the halls. And so they think, you know, the um, the gang members think, okay, it's working. The demon is here. He's gonna, it's gonna come here and it's gonna grant us our wish. But after Rose is on the ground dead, nothing happens. Like all four of our antagonists are just sitting there, like, what's going on? Uh, is something supposed to happen? At this point, Maisie decides, okay, maybe we missed something that's not on this page. Let me go down to the basement and find that book. Of course, she finds. And when she reads the adjacent page to the one that she ripped out, she realizes that there's still one more step left in the ritual. And it's not the blood of the innocent. It's the blood of the guilty. But she doesn't really know what that means. She's like, well, wait a minute, the the blood of the guilty, like, you know, she's not ultra intelligent. Nobody in the gang is ultra intelligent by any stretch of the imagination. Maisie being the smartest one, and she's still not very bright. Uh, so she realizes that she missed a step, and she says that she tells that to Jude, and Jude kind of snaps on her, um, basically says, no, you're wrong. The demon is here. I feel the demon. The demon is inside of me. This guy is so deluded and psychotic that he actually thinks the demon is inside of him. So while Jude and Maisie are looking for the book and making out and doing what they do, um, Samantha, Clara... Grant and Doug are all still in the main room and Clara just starts a conversation up with um, with Doug and basically says, well, what would you wish for? 
And I think most savvy horror movie fans kind of know at that exact moment what is going on. Like, how is this 12-year-old girl suddenly, you know, so brave to ask these absolute murderers these crazy, you know, antagonizing questions? But, yeah, she basically says, well, what would you wish for? And Doug is like, what the fuck do you care? I'm not going to tell you. So then she turns to Samantha and says, Samantha, what would you ask for if, you know, if you summoned a demon? And Samantha doesn't answer her. So instantly at that moment, I'm thinking, oh, shit, they did summon a demon, but it's inside of Clara. And Clara's trying to get Samantha to make a wish before the antagonists do. As it turns out, that's not necessarily what was happening. Um, but I am very happy with where it actually did go from there. Um, at this point, Doug takes his last sip out of his um, uh, alcohol bottle, his uh, whatever the fuck they call those things, containers, the tins. Um, and he asks the girls, is there any more alcohol in the place? Samantha remembers that there's a case of vodka in the basement. So she tells him that exactly. There's vodka in the basement. He's just ecstatic that this girl's school actually has vodka, that he doesn't even question it or take one of the girls with him. He literally just goes and he tells Grant, the PTSD ex-soldier, to watch the two girls. And as soon as Doug leaves the room, instantly Clara starts talking to Grant. And she even gets up from, you know, they were told to stay on the ground on their knees. She ends up getting up and walking right up to Grant. Grant instantly is like, what the fuck are you doing? Get back down on the floor. But then suddenly we see Doug kind of become more cooperative or, you know, like just not as antagonistic. And Again, we see Clara asking him, well, what would you ask for? Obviously, you're a soldier. You've got terrible memories. You know, what would you wish for if you, you know, if you could? And um, she ends up just kind of answering the question herself and just saying, you're looking for redemption, aren't you? You're looking for a way to get out of this, you know, situation that you're in, these memories that you have, both from Vietnam and from what you've been doing since you left Vietnam, blah, blah, blah. So. Um, at this point, Clara says, I have something to show you. And she starts undressing in front of Grant. Uh, Grant, you can see the look on his face, like, what the fuck is this little girl doing? Why is she getting undressed? But then finally, she takes off her dress. She pulls up her slip and she shows her belly. And on her belly is the symbol that was carved on the floor, letting them letting Grant know, oh, yeah. I'm your demon, motherfucker, <laughs> which I instantly, like I said, by this point, I kind of already knew where it was going. But when we got the actual confirmation, I had a big old smile on my face. And, you know, Clara uh, basically uses Grant not as a vessel, but basically like, you know, control, mind control, hypnotize, whatever you want to go with. And, and instantly I'm like, oh, what a perfect choice. She actually decided to control the one with the most experience killing, the one who's the most efficient killer. I'm like, good on you, demon. Uh, we never actually get the demon's name, I don't think, in this movie, like the actual demonic name. We, we, we only know Clara as Clara. So, um, so she is Clara the demon at this point. Um, at one point, she, uh, she leans over to Grant and whispers in his ear, hell is waiting for you. And then at the exact same time, the other three antagonists that are in completely different parts of the house hear the exact same whisper in their ears, hell is waiting for you. And then this is when she asks Grant, do you want a way out of your pain? Do you want a way out of your mental anguish? Blah, blah, blah. 
Grant nods yes. She grabs a jar of the blood of the innocent that they brought with them. She marks his forehead with the symbol that's on her belly. And then she pulls out a knife and says, do you want to make it permanent? And the scene cuts there. <laughs> you know, we never actually get Grant's response. But what what ends up happening is we see Jude end up attacking Maisie. Um, because, like I said, Jude is so convoluted, he actually thinks the demon is in him. He thinks that the, the ritual succeeded and that the demon is inside of him granting him power, which isn't true. He's just a dumb douchebag who, you know, um, has, a, you know, a, a, an authority complex or uh, whatever you want to go with. And he ends up attacking Maisie. Maisie ends up hitting him with a candle holder in the head, and they end up going their separate ways. At this point, Jude goes completely Jack Torrance on everybody. He's just, I'm the vessel, I'm the vessel. He starts repeating it. At one point, he takes a knife and he carves the symbol into his own chest, um, you know, to kind of show off that I am the vessel, I am the vessel, blah, blah, blah. Uh, unfortunately, at this point, Clara has basically just decided, okay, I'm done with this cat and mouse bullshit. Um, you know, uh, Grant goes around knocking everybody out, and then they end up getting tied at the dinner table. So now Doug, uh, Maisie, and Jude uh, of the gang are now tied up to the table Clara is sitting there in this wicked black dress. I mean, she had a schoolgirl's uniform on pretty much the whole movie. And then suddenly she's got this Lydia Dietz at the end of Beetlejuice type outfit on, which was actually pretty fucking cool. And then she's got the eyes, too, like I was mentioning earlier, those fucking demon eyes that aren't ultra elaborate. Like, we've seen way more elaborate demonized before, but just what they did with this with the big black pupil and the little bit of color around that pupil I just thought was really effective and especially on a little girl it's creepy as fuck I mean you know black eyed children we're all scared of black eyed children so yeah it works for me at this point you know Maisie basically lets them know that that writ um, well I, I should say not uh, no no I was right Maisie Maisie right before they get taken to the dinner table she reads more of the book that she ripped the page out and she finally realizes that the whole thing the ritual that they've been working on for years is not a summoning ritual it's ah, I forget what they called it exactly but it's it's basically unbinding. a ritual to unbinding thank you thank you Don an unbinding ritual um, so basically at this point we find out that Clara, the demon has actually been at this school since its start, you know, for, I mean, they never give an exact timeline, but when they go back to the wall that has all the pictures of all the previous graduating classes, literally Clara is in every single one of them, you know, going all the way back. So this is when Maisie realizes, oh shit, Clara's the demon. Uh, there's a funny scene where they actually tried to convince Jude that Clara is the demon, and Jude is like, no, motherfucker, I'm the demon. I'm the vessel, which, you know, obviously is going to make you laugh. It made me laugh anyway. So, uh, like I said, at this point, they're at the dinner table. Um, there's a bunch of exposition back and forth, a bunch of cryptic, you know, bullshit, demonic chit-chat back and forth. Finally, she basically says that she needs a sacrifice from the blood of the guilty, 
And now we find out that that's what the final step was, is that she she needs the blood of the innocent, but that she also needs the blood of the guilty. And these four are the guilty. And what she needs from them is she needs them to make a sacrifice. This is potentially where the title of the movie came from. I still don't agree with it, but this might be the scene that kind of answers that question. Uh, basically, she tells them, I need a sacrifice from each one of you to finish this. And then Maisie is like, well, why don't you just fucking do it yourself? And Claire lets them know, I can't. I'm not allowed to hurt you in any way. You have to do it to yourself or to each other. And that's where Grant comes in. She's got Grant under mind control. Grant goes over to um, to Maisie with a knife and the demon is basically what is your sacrifice Maisie refuses to make a sacrifice so she says Grant you decide what she sacrifices and Grant kind of brings up his hunting knife and puts it up to his for to 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 Maisie's forehead almost like he's gonna scalp her which is what I was fucking hoping but no he basically just cuts her hair off cuts like a large amount of her long blonde hair off and puts it on the table and that, that apparently that seems to appease the demon. And then she says, okay, Grant, it's your turn. What is your sacrifice? Grant takes the knife, cuts his hand open, and bleeds, you know, on the spot at the table where the hair is. And then it's Doug's turn. The demon says, okay, Doug, what is your sacrifice? And Doug's like, I don't want to fucking do I don't want to sacrifice anything. And once the demon convinces him that you have no choice, he says, okay, I'll, I'll do the same sacrifice that Doug did, or, or that Grant did, excuse me, uh, which is basically cutting his own hand and letting blood fall on the table. The demon says, okay, that'll suffice, Grant, if you will. Instead of Grant cutting his hand in the palm like he did to himself, he takes Doug's hand, slams it on the dinner table, and cuts his four fingers fucking off. Which, of course, like I said, at this point in the movie, I am laughing my ass off and enjoying every second of it. My vindictive ass is cheering for this demon fucking left and right. Uh, So like I said... (laughs) <laughs> Doug now has his uh, fingers cut off. He then, uh, then the demon says, okay, Jude, it's your turn. And Jude is still saying, I'm the vessel. You can't be the demon. I'm the demon. And, you know, the, of course, the real demon just laughs at him. Like, are, are you serious, dude? Do you not see what's happening? Uh, eventually, Grant walks up to him. Uh, the demon says, what is your sacrifice? Jude says, fuck you. And the demon looks at Grant and says, Grant, I don't think Jude is listening to us. At this point, Grant takes his knife and slices Jude's uh, left ear off. Very uh, reservoir dogs, if you will. Except this time we actually get to see it. This is where you start to see a little bit of the CG wounds. Like, there are... On, on second watch, I did notice that some of the stabs are CG. Luckily, it's, they're not as blatant on first watch, but on second watch, it's more obvious. But with the ear cutting, it's incredibly obvious that it's CG. And the wound, like the wound almost looks like it's not steady on his head, like it's almost like floating there. So, yeah, eh, kind of shitty CGI, but, you know, I'll allow it since the rest of the movie is so damn good. Um, at this point, all four of the people have made their sacrifice, and it is, it is now time for them to die. They need to die so that the demon can now leave this building and be free to do whatever the fuck it is the demons do. So Grant uh, goes up to Doug, stabs him right in the heart, or not in the heart, on the other side of the chest, actually, opposite of the heart, pulls out the knife and just lets him sit there and bleed. 
Then he walks over to Jude. Jude, he actually stabs in the heart with the knife, pulls the knife out, lets Jude bleed out. Then he walks over to uh, Maisie, and Maisie starts doing that shit where she starts talking to him and trying to get uh, get him to snap out of his uh, hypnosis, where she's like, oh, you know, Grant, stop, stop. Now that Jude and Doug are dead, we can go on and we can be together and we can do whatever the fuck we want. We can get out of here. Just untie me and get out of here. At the same time, the demon is talking to him about she doesn't care about you. She's been using you the whole time. She was never, ever going to be with you. Both women are basically yelling at him at the same time. And Grant finally just says, shut up, just tells everyone to shut the fuck up. And he just takes the knife and plunges it into his own neck. Yes, another neck stabbing. Uh, plunges it into his own neck, pulls the blade out, and then just kind of bleeds out and falls uh, onto the floor. Now, this leaves a little bit of a situation because obviously Clara the demon can't actively kill Maisie herself, but Maisie is still alive. She's the last one left alive. She's the last piece of the puzzle to fall. At this point, uh, I, forgot, I forgot to mention that before the dinner scene, uh, Samantha did escape the house. She actually did get out of the house. I'm so sorry, folks. You're probably wondering the whole time what the hell happened to Samantha. Samantha did end up getting out of the house. She gets to the guard station, and she calls the police, lets, you know, lets them know what's going on. You know, to their to the filmmakers credit, the police, you know, don't think that this is a prank. And I mean, they ask her, are you serious? You know, when she first says what's going on, that the Christmas killers are here at the Black Veil School for Girls. But then they do end up believing her and they end up sending some units out. Um, at th- so at this point, Samantha decides I can't leave Clara back at the school. Samantha doesn't know that Clara is the demon. Samantha got out of the house before Clara kind of made her, uh, you know, big reveal, if you will. Uh, So Samantha leaves, but then she decides to have a heart. Uh, The one time that you want this kid to be selfish and just get the fuck out of there, uh, she ends up, no, she ends up, you know, feeling bad for Clara. She ends up going back into the school when she crashes, basically, um, she grabs an axe that she found outside, breaks down the door to the dining room and sees, you know, the three guys from the home invaders all dead and, uh, you know, Maisie in her underwear tied to a chair. And, you know, she then realizes, oh, shit, Clara was the demon the whole time. You know, um, Samantha didn't realize this before she left. So now that she realizes that Clara is the demon, Samantha doesn't really know what to do because we've got one home invader who's already killed probably dozens of people with the intention of killing even more if she would have gotten her demonic wish. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you've got this girl who's been your friend for the last couple of days. Mind you, not a long time friend. It's not like Samantha and Clara were friends before all of this. They became friends because they were the only two to stay back at Christmas break at the school. So it's like, you know, do I do I side with the home invader who's, you know, murdered multiple people or with the demon who Lord knows what the demon is planning to do if they get out of the school? They end up having a little back and forth and the demon finally is able to convince Samantha, you know, that they're friends and that, you know, what the what the home invaders did was way worse killing innocent people, whereas Clara hasn't killed anyone innocent, just the home invaders. 
So what ends up happening is just as the cops are, you, you hear the sirens in the distance. They're, they're starting to approach the school. The door, the front door magically opens, the one that Claire the demon was kind of forcing closed. Um, she ends up uh, trying to get out of the school, and then suddenly, wham, we hear the axe hit her in the back. As she falls, we see that it was Samantha who buried the axe into Maisie's back. Um, Maisie ends up falling out of the front door and dying on the front steps, which I thought was going to fuck up the plan. Like, for some reason, I thought they needed to die in the school for the demon to get out, but apparently the rules are a little bit looser uh, than some. So Maisie falls out of the house, dies on the front porch, and, and at that moment we see an invisible barrier that was blocking um, Clara the demon from getting out of the school suddenly dissipate. And now Clara walks out of the school and she's out for the first time in Lord knows how long. I mean, she talks about, you know, like I said, they never give us a timeline of how long she's been stuck in there. But she definitely makes it seem like she's been in there, you know, maybe a hundred or more years. Once outside, Samantha obviously doesn't have anyone in her life. Um, you know, she she doesn't want to see Clara go, even though, you know, she even asks, so are, are, are you going to stay or are you going to leave? And, of course, Clara is not going to stay. I've been trapped in this school forever. I'm going to take off. But then just before Clara decides to leave, she turns to Samantha and says, do you want to come with me? And Samantha, like I said, she has a father that doesn't seem to care about her very much, that doesn't care about her enough to come get her at Christmas time. No siblings. Mom died in a car accident. So she says yes. She ends up leaving with Clara. And then the last shot of the movie is basically the police arriving to the school. And in the far distance, we see Clara still in her badass black Lydia Dietz dress and Samantha uh, just together. And they end up holding hands. And the movie fades to black. And that is the sacrifice game 2023, my friends. Like I said, not anything that's going to break the mold, nothing that's going to go down as, you know, one of the better horror movies of the year. But just for somebody like me, I was incredibly satisfied with it. We got four, you know, piece of shit antagonists who end up get their, getting their come, comeuppance. By the, by the time this movie was over, I was kind of surprised at how much I was cheering for the demon because, like I said – we have no idea what the demon's going to do. It's not like the demon said, you know, I'm going to rain down fire on the earth or anything like that. She just wanted to get the fuck out of that school. Um, and then we see them leave at the end, and that's it. So, yeah, for me, endlessly satisfying. Um, you know, definitely a well above average film for 2023. Nothing that's going to be top 10, you know, a top 10 candidate, but a fun film, a satisfying film for those petty types like me who love to see antagonists kind of get their comeuppance in these kind of movies, especially bullying pieces of shit like these four who literally will just walk into your front door, stab you in the throat and unceremoniously kill your wife. It was very satisfying to see them kind of get taken care of by this demon and not even like a big old scary monstrous demon, but this little 12 to 13 year old girl who's underdeveloped i mean she, like like samantha is the same age as her but samantha's like way taller whereas you know like i said Maisie is this little girl but obviously she's not going to grow because she's a goddamn demon and she's you know 
basically she took the guise of this little girl. Um, she does explain at one point in the film that, you know, people were afraid of her and that they basically put a hex on her to keep her trapped in this building, but that she was trapped in the building long before it was a school when it was something else. Then it became a school and she needed to find, she needed to figure out a way to be able to kind of traverse the halls openly, you know, without, you know, too much suspicion. So she just made herself one of the students and she's literally been Clara, you know, the, the quiet, unassuming student for like the duration of this school and one of the biggest plot holes that we were talking about earlier is the headmaster of this school. The headmaster of this school is old. She's an old woman. How did she not notice that Clara has never grown? <laughs> did she just get the job? Does Clara kill the headmistress every three years or so to not bring up suspicion? Like, they never address that, yeah. that, yeah. you know, this girl is here. Yeah. <laughs> like, what the fuck? I thought it was like, a, like when you first see the the wrinkle of, oh, she's been in the pictures of all these, like, graduating classes. It's like, it, it's cool at first until you actually think about it. And you're like, well, yep. wait a minute. If she's been there this whole <laughs> yeah. time, no one kind of noticed that. Yeah, especially because it's out and, like, they, they make it a big deal that this is, like, hidden in plain sight. But the thing is, it's hidden in plain sight. Every, you, you can't realize that this one girl has the same hairdo in every single picture. <laughs> Valid. Yeah, like I said, it's one of the biggest plot holes in the movie is just how. How did this girl not get noticed? How did no one notice that Clara has been there for this long Blah, blah, blah. How has no one noticed that Clara never goes home at Christmas? I mean, Clara basically never leaves the building, which means she doesn't go home at summer. She doesn't go home during uh, Easter, Christmas, Thanksgiving, and no one has questioned this. And, and obviously, she could be an orphan. Yes, potentially she's an orphan, but you would still think that somebody at the school would have looked into Clara, would have been like, oh, how did her parents die? Or, you know, where is she from? Does she have any siblings? You know, things like that. Obviously, this is a demon. Maybe the demon created some fake files for itself at the school. I don't know. Like, like I said, there's so many unanswered questions about the basic plot of this film that it's best not to think about it. I'm not going to knock this movie because of the multiple plot holes in it, because overall, I enjoyed it. Uh, you know, I'm the kind of movie viewer that I like to see the, these kind of movies. We get the introduction of some, you know, pieces of shit. Uh, this movie reminded me a lot of Don't Blink, both Don't Blink movies, if you remember. You know, you've got the home invaders invading the blind guy, but then it turns out he's a fucking badass ex-Marine. Um, and and it kind of makes for a very satisfying ending because whoever wins, there's going to be less bad guys in the world. <laughs> you know, whether it's the home invaders or the blind guy that wins, somebody's going to die removing some scum from the planet. So movies like that always make me happy to, to know that the world of that movie is in better shape at the end of the movie than it was before. Whereas with this movie – we just released a demon, very similar to When Evil Lurks. We, you know, we just a month ago saw When Evil Lurks and talked about it, where it was the exact same thing. They released a demon, but in that movie, they talked about all the horrible shit that that demon was going to do if it was released. So it, it definitely paints a clearer picture of what happens after the end of When Evil Lurks, as opposed to this movie where... You know, maybe Clara doesn't want to be evil. Maybe she just legitimately wanted to get the fuck out of the school and make a friend. And now that she has a friend, a traveling companion, you know, maybe she won't condemn humanity. Who knows? 
Mm. Maybe. An interesting sequel idea. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap up this episode and our discussion on the Sacrifice game. But uh, before we get out, let's uh, go find out what else everyone has going on. So, Venom, do you have any other new shows? Oh, yes, my friends. We have the show. The show that Don, Derek, and myself have been waiting to record for over a year since we first heard about the release of this movie. And, of course, we're talking about Godzilla Minus One, as Mike alluded to earlier in the show. We finally got a chance to talk about it. We, re- we recorded our episode this weekend. Um, I turned it in last night, and promptly this morning it was uploaded, so it is, a- it is available now. Um, it is also available on YouTube, so just you, know, you can go ahead and just look up Creature Comforts, uh, Godzilla Minus One, and it should pop up. Um, you know, based depending on how you like to consume your podcast. So it is out there. And honestly, I'm kind of surprised we didn't go longer than we did. I honestly expected that episode to be about the length of the movie, uh, a little over two hours. But since we decided to do a mildly spoiler-free review, we didn't really get into too many spoilers in the third act. We did allude to some of them, but we didn't really outright... Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's when the third act was kind of what killed that uh, potential tar- target. Exactly, yeah. So we ended up coming in just shy of an hour and 20 minutes, which is still kind of a long episode for us. But um, as Mike alluded to earlier, it's pretty obvious that, you know, what we think of a movie like this. I mean, not only are kaiju fans praising this movie, just cinephiles and general critics. I mean, this thing is a 96% on IMDb. Not since uh, Godzilla versus Destoroya have we seen those kind of Rotten Tomatoes scores for a Godzilla movie. So, yeah. Um, As we record this episode, Godzilla is still in the theater for three more days. You've got three more days to check it out. So I highly recommend to check it out. If you can see it in IMAX or Dolby, again, highly recommend. But regardless, this is the sheer definition of a big screen movie. This is a movie that needs to be experienced in a theater. Um, obviously, you know, millions of us are going to enjoy it at home after it gets its home video release. But right now, this is a big movie in every sense of the word. It needs to be watched. And if you can see it in IMAX, my friends, please, please do. I saw it in IMAX uh, yesterday, and it is glorious. I mean, I thought it was glorious already. I was already singing its praises, but I finally got to see it in IMAX yesterday, and it is well worth it. I'm going to try to see it one more time before it leaves theater, bringing my tally to five times, seeing Godzilla minus one, and I am not uh, ashamed of that. I am very proud of that. If anything, I wish I could have seen it more, but... Obviously, that 4K will be mine the instant it's announced or released, and I will continue watching it here. And, folks, uh, it it might be a controversial decision, but I have decided to include Godzilla Minus One in my horror um, top ten at the end of the year. I mean, you know, where in the top ten? Don't know. But I have decided that it is enough of a horror movie this and the OG Godzilla are very much horror films. You can make an argument. You can make an argument for Godzilla versus Megagaris as well, being you know having horror elements to it. But the OG and this one, in my opinion, are 
horror movies. I mean, a 300-foot fucking lizard crushes you for no reason. That's not horror? Come on. Is that a comedy? What? Is that a drama? I don't think so. It's a goddamn horror movie. So I'm getting that out now so that it's not a shock when you finally listen to our top ten episode because I don't care. I'm including it. Um, and then that's pretty much it. I don't have, um, unfortunately, cut to the chase um, again, because of tragedies in the family, uh, have decided to skip 12 days of Chase Miss. I do believe that they're still going to do a couple of episodes here and there with selected hosts. Um, but uh, as far as the actual Christmas series that they generally do, it looks like we're not going to get that this year. So, again, uh, all of my love goes out to the Cuts of the Chase folks. You know, hopefully, you know, 2024 is a big year for them. And, you know, we get a steady flow of shows coming back from them. So, you know, again, good luck to them and condolences for what may have happened. I don't 100% know what happened. I just know there were tragedies in the family. So I'll leave it at that. And, yeah, other than Cuts of the Chase, that's pretty much all I have. I mean, the last episode of the main show is still the latest one. We are going to get together I believe sometime in the next week or so to try to record the next episode. And you're actually going to hear Mr. Doninelli's voice on that one as he's going to be joining us for that episode as well. Thanks for running and... my surprise. <laughs> Sorry, Don. <laughs> I love stealing thunder. You know that. <laughs> of course. I don't blame you. <laughs> uh, so, and that's all for me, folks. <laughs> all right. Uh, how about you, Don? All right, so uh, as mentioned, yes, uh, Godzilla Minus One, absolutely check that one out. Um, love that movie to pieces. Wish I could be as, you know, high as you guys, but I, I mean, come on. Uh, I, I'm thinking this is like a 9.98, and I think you guys are like at a 10. So, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, um, miscalculated there, forgot to carry the one, so... <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, I, I'm right there with you, with uh, everybody on that one there. Uh, absolutely see that one as soon as possible. Uh, should be, you know, like he said, available everywhere. Um, the surprise was ruined in that I'm joining the main show once again to uh, discuss a couple of uh, films. But um, I think I'll keep the surprise of the films uh, intact until it's recorded just because um, I, I mean, we all know what's going on here with uh, that, so I think I'll just leave the films a secret for now. And uh, the only other thing I have is uh, we're coming up on uh, Season 3 of Horror Countdown. So uh, I think I've already got January recorded, so uh, all of the episodes are uh, in the bag and uh, ready to be edited and tackled. So uh, be on the lookout for that uh, in the coming year. But uh, otherwise, yeah, I uh, don't have much else. All right. Um, as far as me, uh, nothing much outside of our normal stuff. It's kind of busy time of the year um, with family and stuff. So I try not to overcommit just in case things come up. But uh, one more episode of Fresh Cuts for sure. And then I think we're trying, yeah, we're trying to get the main show scheduled for one more this year. Mm -hmm. um, but as far as Fresh Cuts goes, yeah, I think there's nothing theatrically wide, so we'll probably be going back to VOD to close out the year. And uh, Okay, if I can uh, point it, if I can make a pointed suggestion, there's something in the barn. I, I heard that, yeah. I've heard positive if things I, about that. I love that movie. That is a potential top five of the year for me. That movie wow. was a lot of fun. Yeah. Did that just get released? Make, 
Yep, it's on VOD. Or uh, for us, it's uh, on Plex. So. Okay. All right, sounds yeah. good. Yeah, yeah that, is a, that is a potential top five of the year. And more importantly, newly released, it's available, and it's a Christmas movie. So. Woo! Oh, cool. I, I thought I heard it mentioned, too, somewhere in one of our chats. Yeah. Um, that someone liked it. I just can't remember who. I, I must have like saw it in passing when I was like scrolling, and I didn't realize it was um, already sitting on the Plex server. So yeah, I'm I'm yeah. good with that. Yeah, there's something in the barn. That movie was a lot of fun. So uh, I, yeah, I, I I'm definitely pushing for that one. There you go. Our last movie of 2023. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, with that said, thank you everybody for listening. Uh, stick around for one more in 2023. And then after that, it'll be our top 10 show in January. So, uh, exciting things on the horizon. Um, but yeah, let's close out the show by saying bye to our listeners. Later. Don't summon demons. They're not trustworthy. Yeah, and don't let strangers in. That's about the easiest advice. Yeah. (laughs) Peace.